Turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. This morning we are continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. We're moving along today in a series of studies where we're looking at Paul's message to the Ephesian elders, which we're covering in Acts 20, verses 17 through 38. In part two today, our main text is going to be Acts 20, verses 22 through 24. But let's begin by reading verses 16 through 21, just to keep the the context and the flow of this uh, section of Scripture here. Acts 20, starting in verse 16, it says, For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he would not have to spend time in Asia, for he was hurrying to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, he sent to Ephesus, called for the elders of the church, and when they had come to him, he said to them, You know from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me, By the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Drink break. Guys, as we considered last week, And just saw in those verses, Paul was, again, trying to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost. This was something that was so deeply in Paul's heart that he was doing what was necessary in all of the, you know, strenuous traveling that would be necessary in that day. Not having a plane, not having a car, footing it, getting on a ship, having terrible weather conditions at times that would make the traveling take even longer. And Paul had it in his heart. He he wanted to get to Pentecost. He wanted to be there in Jerusalem. 23 days have already passed since Passover. And now Paul is in this port town of Miletus, which is 30 miles south of the city of Ephesus, on the southwest corner of modern-day Turkey, which was in that day Asia Minor. And, And Paul calls for these Ephesian elders to come join him in Miletus. And, and so now they're here for this meeting. And it's Paul's meeting with these elders that's highlighted for us in the second half of chapter 20. And it's in this message that, that Paul's really doing two thi- uh, sorry three things. In verses 18 through 21, he's reminding them of his ministry in the past. We saw this in verses 18 through 21 last week. Then Uh, In verses 22 through 27, he's going to point out some things about his ministry in the present. We're going to start seeing that in our verses this morning and then in the following study. And then in verses 28 through 35, he's going to prepare and warn and exhort them regarding things in the future. Things that these elders needed to know about ahead of time, to be watchful about even then. As we saw from what Paul shared last week, though these elders, these pastors of the church of Ephesus knew Paul's manner of living because they had seen it firsthand, they had witnessed his life, Paul still felt it necessary to remind them about his ministry. 
his ministry to them in the past in order to instruct and encourage them to do the same things in the present and moving forward. And as we saw last week, there's things in those verses for us to take and apply in our lives too. And now in our study today, as we continue seeing Paul's meeting and message to these Ephesian elders, in verses 22 through 24, Paul's going to start pointing out some things about his ministry in the present that, again, is going to provide some instruction, provide some encouragement to them, but will also do the same for us regardless of being in a position of leadership in Jesus' church or not, that, that there's lots for us to take away and apply in our own lives in these verses that we're going to be looking at this morning. And so with that, let's read verses 22 and 23. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. Luke recording for us Paul's message here. He says, And see, now I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. As we see from what Paul shares with these elders here, before he ever even got to the city of Miletus, there was this general uncertainty about what exactly Paul was going to find when he got to Jerusalem. The only thing he really had clarity about, the only thing that he was really certain about, was that the Holy Spirit was testifying. Whether this was an inward testimony in Paul's own heart, that the Spirit of God was making it clear to Paul, Paul, chains and tribulations await him, whether it was other people in his life who maybe God was giving a prophetic word to tell Paul, hey, if you go to Jerusalem, you know what's going to happen is chains and tribulations. Regardless of how that came about, Paul was convinced that the Spirit of God was testifying into his life that the only thing that he was truly certain about that was going to happen when he got to Jerusalem for Pentecost was chains and tribulations. Not really encouraging things at all. You would hope if someone had sort of a prophetic word for you, it's like, hey, God's going to bless you this coming year. You're like, cool. I like that. You know what? God's got a better job for you. God's going to hook you up with a nicer home. He's going to, you know, you're going to get a raise at work. You're like, wow, cool. That's some cool, nice prophetic word that you have for me there. But what about when the prophetic word is, stuff's going to be really, really hard. Your life's going to take a downward turn from like a real natural, worldly sort of perspective. And yet those things were not deterring Paul. He was bound in the Spirit. Bound in the Spirit. That means he was, he was locked into this position of mind that nothing was going to move him away from. I'm going to Jerusalem. Paul's ministry in the present wasn't one of full clarity regarding the future. It wasn't one with zero uncertainties. In fact, with the uncertainty was a certainty that none of us would want to be certain about. Trouble, suffering, imprisonment, stuff's going to be hard. 
Paul was instructing and encouraging these leaders and, and really all of us today as disciples of Jesus that the life of faith is not a life of complete clarity and no uncertainties or, or a life that's free of trials and suffering and opposition and trouble, but that the life of faith actually includes all of those things. Anyone feel encouraged yet this morning? Let's pray. No, but that's the reality of being a disciple of Jesus. We do a disservice to any person if we try to tell them, look, if you come, once you come to Jesus, everything's going to be great. Everything's going to be flowers and sausages, right? I got a birthday sweatshirt made by Cynthia, and on it is, life is not all flowers and sausages. She, put, she ironed on this patch onto it with my favorite saying, but, but truthfully, like, stuff is hard. Becoming a follower of Christ doesn't all of a sudden transition to this la-la land like everybody's singing all the times and, and the sun's always shining and everything's always working out the way that you want it to sort of life. The life of faith which is an integral part of being a disciple of Jesus, requires us to deny self. That alone makes things difficult for us. None of us like to deny ourselves. We want to indulge ourselves. I want to give myself what I want. If I want that snack at 1130 at night, and I know I shouldn't have it, because I really do want to lose a little bit of weight, it's probably not good for me, and I might have some weird dreams. But I want a snack. And so I'll eat it. Why? Because I don't want to deny myself. Just give me what I want. And yet Jesus said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself. He said, pick up your cross daily and then follow me. And oftentimes, as we follow Jesus, he's not giving us all the info of what's going to come. Oftentimes, you know, following him means suffering and trials and opposition and trouble. But following Jesus, even when things are uncertain or hard, is where real life, an abundant life, an eternal life is found. It's where true joy and peace and hope and contentment are found. And, and with all the hard things, that is the life of true blessing. For those of us who have followed after Jesus in that sort of true discipleship sort of way, we could bear witness to that same sort of thing. It's not been easy, but it is the greatest decision I ever made of my life. Why? Because I was dead, but now I'm alive. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was in the darkness, and now I've been brought into his marvelous light. There is no greater life to be lived 
even though it could be the hardest life you may ever live, than the life that's lived in surrender to Jesus Christ. Guys, Paul had been preparing Paul for this for years. So that in spite of the uncertainty and even the certainty of the, of the chains and the tribulations that were coming, that Paul would keep moving forward by faith as he followed Jesus' plan for his life. And I mean, realistically, we don't always like Jesus' plan for our lives. Sometimes we think we have a better plan for our lives. Or is that just me at times? You, you go like, Lord, I would have I done that a lot differently. I, my timing would have been completely different. Like, I would have dealt with my enemies a lot different. I would have done a lot of things differently, Lord. But Jesus' plan is always perfect. Always perfect. God had been preparing Paul for this. And, and so for us, God's always seeking to prepare and strengthen us for the things he has in store for us. So that we will walk by faith. We will trust him in spite of uncertainty. Trust trust him in spite of suffering and in spite of trials and in spite of opposition and trouble knowing that Jesus is going to be with us every step of the way and confident that he knows what he's doing and what he's allowing. But look how Paul follows that up in verse 24. He says, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You know, the first thing I, I, I want to clarify is what Paul meant when he said that none of these things move me. Speaking of the uncertainty and chains and tribulations that awaited him in Jerusalem, those were the these things. Paul's not saying that none of those things affected him didn't bother him, that, that nothing moved him emotionally. He was just this sort of stoic pillar of a man that nothing could, nothing could affect. We know that that's not true because as he reminded the elders in verse 19, he cried many tears in his time with them in Ephesus, and from the things he elaborates on in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, which we looked at last week, we see that things have been really hard for Paul. He says like things like, I despaired of life. I was above strength. Like, that's not a man that's unmoved emotionally. It's not a man that's unmoved in, in, in relationally or situationally. Nothing affected him. No, he was affected. Stuff was hard for the Apostle Paul. We can't look at even what we've seen over the book of Acts and think, wow, this guy just, you know, had the best life ever. Like, no, 
no one's lived a more easy life than the apostle. No, no, no. We're, we come away with going, I don't know that I could be him. I don't know that I could do those things. I don't think I could go through what he went through and keep wanting to minister. I, I think if people were against me that often, I would, I would start to become bitter towards people. Right? You just want to chase me out of town? You want to kill me? Like, forget it. I don't want to preach the gospel to anybody anymore. I just don't want to do it. I'd be wondering if it was really worth it. Why am I wa- wasting my time? Like, I, I love and love and love. These are kind of the kinds of things that Paul writes about even in the book of 2 Corinthians. He goes, the more I loved you, the more, the less I am loved by you. He even says to the church in Corinth, these were other believers. This was Paul's sort of ministerial sort of life. Love, 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 not loved and returned. Pour out, pour out, pour out, and maybe not getting anything in return. Preaching, 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 but then opposition in return. Those things affected him. They bothered him. They discouraged him. But notice that they didn't move him. Given the context of him being bound in the spirit to go to Jerusalem, in spite of the uncertainty and chains and tribulations that awaited him, I think we can confidently say that Paul means, when he says, none of these things move me, that though those things affected him, that he, that he wasn't going to let those things derail him. Meaning that to be derailed, moved away from that place of trusting in the Lord and continuing to serve the Lord. Because if we're honest with ourselves, uncertainty and trials and suffering and opposition and trouble are, are all things that can threaten to move or derail us in those same sorts of ways, moving us away from really fully trusting the Lord and, and moving us away from fully serving the Lord and walking in the things that he's called us to. But we learn some things from Paul in verse 24 on how to become unmovable, how to become steadfast, how to become firm and fixed in place in spite of uncertainty and trials and suffering and opposition and trouble. The first thing is that Paul says that he didn't count his life dear to himself. This doesn't mean that Paul hated himself, that he despised his his life or found no value in living. No, none of that. Paul's just saying that he had an eternal perspective when it came to how he viewed his own life. That finishing his race, his life of faith, and, and fulfilling the ministry that the Lord had given to him actually had a far greater value in his estimation than trying to preserve his life and take an easier or more comfortable route. We gain some more insight into the eternal perspective that Paul had in what he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18. He says there, uh, Therefore we do not lose heart, Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. 
He says, for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. See, for some Christians, their perspective is only on the physical and temporary. Focusing only on what's perishing that's happening outwardly. And because of that, they're, they're missing the inward renewal that God is working. Missing how God is taking the light and momentary afflictions, which may not seem very light or very momentary. Paul's afflictions and suffering were not very light most of the time. They're, they're pretty heavy. But he's taking these things. God is taking these light and momentary afflictions and, and working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. And we can miss that. We can miss the unseen and eternal things that are in store for us in the heavenly realm. If our value system is off and we value our own comfort and safety and, and savings account and how others view us above living for Jesus in his kingdom, which comes with uncertainty and trials and suffering and tribulation, will never truly gain that eternal perspective that God wants to give to us and have us live by. But see, if we can allow the Lord to touch and transform our value system, how we see things, how we view things, he will change our perspective to one that's eternal, focused on his kingdom and commission and glory. And then we'll see that there's no greater value than living for Jesus Christ. You know, oftentimes we don't do things for the Lord because our life is just too dear to ourselves. Oh, like, that's going to make it hard. It's gonna, that's going to be uncomfortable. You may have to go talk to that person about you, Lord. Like, I don't like that. I don't talk very good. And, you know, like, I might have a booger hanging from my nose when I'm talking to them, and they're going to laugh at me, and they're not even listening to anything I say, and then they're going to make fun of me later. Like, we count our lives so dear to ourselves that we're not willing to lay down our lives for the sake of the gospel oftentimes. For the sake of the kingdom of God. Again, denying self is part of that call to discipleship, laying down our lives, picking up our cross. Moving on though, the, the second thing we learn from Paul on how to become unmovable, how to become steadfast, firm and fixed in place in spite of uncertainty and, and difficulty is where Paul says, so that I may finish my race with joy. Paul's race was him recognizing the life of faith that Jesus had given to him. Paul didn't have to run someone else's race, only the one Jesus gave to him specifically. And for Paul, he wanted to finish that race. He didn't want to become disqualified. 
as he was running. He didn't he, he wanted to see it through to completion. He wanted to be faithful to the Lord till death and wanted to finish his race with joy. Paul knew that living for Jesus might cost him his life, and yet he wanted to finish his race with joy. And again, this kind of perspective can only come when the Lord has transformed our perspective, transformed our value system to one where we see things through an eternal lens, a kingdom lens, where we value Jesus and his kingdom and his commission and his glory above our very own lives. But I do want to point out that in the midst of uncertainty and trials and suffering and tribulation, that the Lord wants us to experience his joy as we run our race and seek to finish our race. I want to ask us this morning, have we as Christians, as disciples of Jesus, lost our joy because of the things that have happened to us or the things that are happening around us that are going on in this world today? What have we allowed maybe to steal away our joy in the Lord as we run this race of faith with our eyes focused on Jesus? Or maybe for some, we've lost our joy because we're running with our eyes on other things. You know, I was challenged and encouraged by the perspective of the prophet Habakkuk. You may pronounce it Habakkuk. That's fine too. In our daily Bible reading yesterday, and and I wanted to share it with you. Uh, Listen to what we're told in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Habakkuk says there, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, Though the labor of the olive may fail and the fields yield no food. Though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. He says this, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. You know, when you're living in an agrarian society where you're dependent upon flocks and vines and you know, the things that are coming up in your crop and none of it's producing. Fig trees not blossoming, fruits not on the vines, the olives not producing, the fields aren't yield any food, the flocks are cut off from the fold and there's no herd in the stall. So for me, all that speaks of is a destitute sort of situation. You got nothing. I mean, there's, there's stuff out there, but it's not doing what it is supposed to be doing. It's not providing for you the way that it's supposed to be. It's not producing what you've labored for. It's not producing what you've expected to produce. And when I think about that in ministry, the context of ministry, context of relationships, the context of just life, Isn't this us so often? Doesn't this happen to us? Like, gosh, I've been pouring into this relationship. I've been sharing with somebody. I've been loving my neighbor. I've been, whatever that thing is. And you're just, you're not seeing anything come of it. Not outwardly, at least. You'd love just a little glimpse of some sort of fruit, something 
to show you that what you've been spending yourself for is, is making some sort of impact. You've been pouring yourself in and think about the state of our church and you know where things have been over the last year and a half or even seven years in, going from just being a little Bible study in our living room. Things have changed over the year. I think about all the people that we've loved that have moved away relationships that you invest in and then people move on and it can be easy to become discouraged at times i'll speak for myself personally maybe it's not you that i could see in this verse things for me that sometimes it just what you labor for you're you're not seeing you don't see the fruit of it necessarily or you're wondering god like i I had this sort of expectation and it's, I'm not seeing it come to fulfillment. The things that I had hoped for are not working out the way that I thought they were. And how easy it can be for us to feel excused from the right sort of response. If I was in Habakkuk's position, I would say all those things and I would go, so I'm going to go lay down on my bed and I'll cry. You know, I don't know that my natural response would be, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I'll be like, I'm going to go scream into my pillow. I'm going to go work out so I can release some of this frustration that I have or you know, whatever the response is. I'm just going to not talk to people for a while. Like whatever that is for you. But guys, we can find ourselves in these sorts of places. But that the right response, the one that Habakkuk gives us the, the right sort of insight to is, is, is to be able in the midst of the, 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 the fig tree not blossoming and the fruit not being on the vines and the labor of the oil failing and the fields not yielding food and the flocks being cut off and there being no herds in the stalls is to say, Lord, yet I will rejoice. In you, I will joy in the God of my salvation. I want to be able to say that. I want to be able to have that sort of perspective. Listen, our, our God wants to make his joy our strength. He wants to make his joy our strength. A joy that would help us be unmovable, fixed in place as we run our race for Jesus. But the third thing we learn from Paul on how to become unmovable, in spite of uncertainty and difficulty, is that Paul says, finally, in the, in the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul didn't just want to finish his race with joy. He wanted to fulfill the ministry he had received from the Lord. He wasn't just like, look, I just want to finish it. Like, let's just be done. Let's move on. This stuff's hard. 
I'll just finish my race with joy. I'll be, I'll be joyful that my race is over. Some of us are waiting for the joy like after the fact. Like, cool, when I'm finish it, when I'm with the Lord, joy, right? Because the Bible says, in the presence of the Lord is fullness of joy. It is right hand or pleasures forevermore. I'll have the joy later. Right now, I just want to stay in sort of a disgruntled sort of like poor me. Woe is me. Like, I, I kind of want to, let me just simmer in that for a little while. I'll have the joy later. Let me finish the race with joy. The joy will be like the little thing after the fact. You know, joy now. Joy now in the midst of the race. Joy now in the midst of the difficulties that God has for us. Not just finishing the race, but fulfilling the ministry that God had given to him. Here we see Paul emphasizing the importance of faithfulness in ministry. Giving a reminder that ministry is something that's given by God as a stewardship. And Paul at the same time exalting the importance in ministry of testifying to the gospel of the grace of God. These would have been crucial things for these church leaders to hear from Paul. Things for them to keep in mind, continue to prioritize in their own lives and ministry. But these things are important for us to keep in mind and prioritize in our own lives and ministries as well. As servants of Jesus Christ, each one of us are stewards. And what he's calling each of us to in our stewardship is faithfulness. Faithfulness. Just like Paul, you and I have also received a ministry from the Lord Jesus too. That ministry doesn't necessarily mean pastoral ministry, but it does mean that he's called each of us to serve him. Has given us a stewardship, has given us responsibility with the people and time and resources and giftings that he's placed in our lives. And, and those things we've received... He wants, us to be faith, he wants us to be faithful to fulfill. And for each of us, no matter the ministry, we're to testify, to, to be witnesses of the same thing, the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel message is a message of grace that's connected to the new covenant of grace that Jesus ushered in. When he shed his blood for us on that Roman cross, it's, it's good news. That's what the gospel means, good news. Because we know how bad the bad news is for each person. That the wages of sin are death, that our sin separates us from God, that each of us were on the road leading to eternal destruction, that, we, that what we earned and deserved was hell and eternal judgment. But God, in his grace, the good news, Jesus was sent to die for us in our place. Paying our debt in full, providing justification, not just wiping away our sins, but actually giving to us the very righteousness of Jesus Christ into our account. Giving us salvation, giving us redemption, giving us forgiveness that for any who would repent of their sin and put their faith 
in Jesus Christ. They would receive all that Jesus provided through the cross. Be removed from being an enemy of God to becoming a son or daughter of God and being promised an eternity spent with Christ. The gospel of the grace of God is one that if we've received it, have received the grace of God, received Jesus' salvation, is a message that we must testify to others about because we know what's at stake. And we know the immeasurable blessing that's found in knowing and receiving Jesus as Savior and Lord. Guys, let's be clear this morning. We will not become firm and strong and unmovable spiritually by force of will, by determination, by positive thinking. Just think happy thoughts. Be like Peter Pan. You're doing it, Peter. You found your happy. You know, it's like, no, we didn't. You don't just become unmovable like this by going, you know what? I'm just going to make sure that I think about how I don't want to be moved. No, we become firm and strong and unmovable spiritually when we stand upon the rock, which is Jesus Christ. And we keep our eyes solely focused on Jesus as we run the race that he set before us. Guys, he has grace for us to not be moved in spite of the difficult things we're going through and will go through. To not be moved or derailed from that place of really trusting the Lord and fully serving the Lord and walking in the things he's called us to. He has joy for us in our race. And he wants to empower us by his spirit to finish our race, to be faithful to the ministry, the stewardship he's entrusted to us and testify to the gospel of his grace. This wasn't just an important word of instruction, encouragement for these Ephesian elders. It's an important word for us today. Because there are so many things that want to move us out of that place where we're really trusting the Lord. Not just trusting him with our salvation, but trusting him presently. Trusting him in our, in our relationships, trusting him with our finances, trusting him with our health, trusting him with our jobs, trusting him with the political climate that's going on, trusting him with all the unrest that's happening in our nation, trusting him in these last days that we find ourselves in. He wants us to really Truly trust him. Not just, well, Lord, I trusted you when I put my faith in you. Lord, I trust you that you're going to save me and you're going to glorify me. But Lord, I trust you presently. I trust you moment by moment. Because there are things that want to move us away from just that simple place of trust. There are things where we're like, okay, Lord, I'll keep following, I'll keep serving you, but there's things that want to move us away from that place of just simple service with humility, as Paul talked about. 
Guys, would we be disciples of Jesus who are unmoved in that sort of way? Not unmoved emotionally, where we're just compassionless people. We, we can't have the gift of mercy because I'm just not moved. I don't, I don't get where you're coming from. I can't meet you where you're at with the things that you're going through. Not, not that. But that would be firm in Christ, in who he is and what he's done and who we are in Jesus. And guys, God is able to build those things into us. That's part of his sanctifying work each day. He is building into us a spiritual toughness, a spiritual firmness, so that we can be unmoved, just like the Apostle Paul. I'm going to have Julian come back up. In closing, as I said earlier, God's always wanting to prepare and strengthen us for the things that he has in store for us. So that we'll be able to walk by faith. We'll be able to trust him in spite of uncertainty and suffering and trials and opposition and trouble. Knowing that Jesus is going to be with us every step of the way. Confident that he knows what he's doing and what he's allowing. Just as Jesus was with Paul, he is with us. And our good shepherd is all that we could ever need. He's not just the good shepherd. He is the great I am. Everything that we could ever need him to be, he is. But maybe, you know, someone here today just feels like the uncertainties and trial and suffering and troubles maybe have moved them, maybe have derailed them a bit, maybe moved them from really trusting the Lord, maybe moved them from fully serving the Lord. Let the Lord this morning, if that's you, pick you up and dust you off and draw near to you and give you grace once more. I'd encourage you, if that's you, just to move towards him. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. It is a promise of scripture. Guys, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, thankful for what you did in the life of the Apostle Paul. A man that was very much human, just like us. A man that cried many tears. That dealt with discouragement. That felt at times he didn't even have the strength to keep going who despaired even of life, a man who felt like people didn't love him back, a man who dealt with being abandoned by people that he loved and poured into. Oh Lord, there's so much we can learn from his life. Lord Jesus, we're reminded as we look at all these things, Lord, how badly we need you. Lord, as we think about the uncertainties that each of us have. Lord, the, the trials that we go through, the suffering that we experience, the opposition that we face, Lord, the trouble 
that's going on in the world around us. Lord, we want to be able to say like the Apostle Paul that none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself that I may finish my race with joy. Fulfill the ministry which I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Lord, would each of us recognize, Lord, the stewardships that we've been given, the ministries, Lord, that you've entrusted to us. Lord, would we see that each of us have been given a race by you, Lord? Would we run well? Lord, would we run this race with joy, Lord, with our eyes focused on Jesus? Lord, would your joy be our strength. Lord, when things aren't working out the way that we thought they would, Lord, when we have unmet expectations, Lord, when we're dealing with discouragement, Lord, when, God, we've labored for things and we're not seeing any fruit from any of it, Lord, would we yet rejoice in you and joy in the God of our salvation? God, give us an eternal perspective on our present circumstances. Lord, change and transform our value system, Lord, that we would value you and your kingdom and your glory and your gospel and your commission, Lord, as greater, far greater in value, Lord, than our comfort. Lord, we're thankful for your gospel of grace. Lord, how you've saved us. Lord, not because we were deserving, but Lord, in spite of being undeserving, Lord, you saved us. God, we want to be those who testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Give us boldness, even this week. Lord, as we're around family members and friends and coworkers and neighbors, strangers even, Lord God, give us a spirit-imparted boldness, Lord, to testify about you, to testify about how you saved us, Lord, to testify about who you are, Jesus, and what you've done and how you want to save others. Lord, would we see those who are, Lord, steeped in sin and rebellion, find life and freedom and hope and salvation in Jesus Christ this Christmas season. Lord, use us for your kingdom and glory, Lord God. Make us unmovable because we're standing upon the rock, which is Christ. Lord, encourage those who are feeling discouraged today. Lord, comfort those who are feeling broken, Lord, in this Christmas season. And look, if there's anybody here today and you don't have a personal saving relationship with Jesus Christ, Jesus wants to save you. The Father sent Jesus to be the savior of humanity. He was born to die. And this morning, his free gift of salvation is an offer that he holds out to any who will repent of their sin and turn in faith to him. If that's anybody this morning, would you stand where you're at? I would love to pray for you if that's you. Well, Lord, as we respond to your word this morning, God, in songs of praise, will we truly rejoice in you, Lord God? Adore you, Lord God. Would we 
give you all the praise and honor and glory that's due to your name because you are worthy. You alone are worthy, Jesus. Lord, we do that as we sing these songs of praise. Lord, as we take of the communion elements. Lord Jesus, have your way. We love you, Lord. We're, we're thankful for you. In Jesus' name, amen.